Wait, what? So this happened. I'm Rachel Vallisnor, and this is the podcast Hell is Not the End, although it feels like just the beginning sometimes. Is anything really the end, though? This podcast is meant to explore the limitless possibilities of one's own soul. Why do people do bad things? Why are there countless happenings beyond understanding? Why, when we are cautioned not to do something, do we just do it anyway? The definition of curiosity, a strong desire to know or learn something. There you have it. I will curiously explore why. Hell is not the end. Robert Hansen was born in Esterville, Iowa on February 15, 1939. He was the son of a Danish immigrant and followed in his father's footsteps as a baker. He was very shy growing up and had severe acne that left his face scarred. His face may have been the reason for negative attention from attractive women. It would eventually transform into hate and revenge. From a young age, Robert could be described as a quiet loner. He had an extremely strained relationship with his domineering father. Robert began to hunt and practice archery. Those activities would make him feel safe and sheltered from not only the world, but his domineering father. In 1957, Robert joined the United States Army Reserve only to be discharged a year later. He had also worked as an assistant drill instructor at a police academy in Pocahontas, Iowa. There he met and married a younger woman in the summer of 1960. On December 7, 1960, Robert was arrested for burning down a Board of Education school bus garage in Pocahontas County, supposedly in retaliation for all the negative attention that he received from women and his most scarring unpopularity. He served 20 months of a three-year sentence. During his incarceration, Robert was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with periodic schizophrenic episodes. The psychiatrist who finally made his diagnosis noted that he had an infantile personality and was obsessed with revenge, getting back at all who had wronged him. Robert's wife divorces him while he is incarcerated. Over the next few years, he falls into the crime of petty theft and will be jailed several times. In 1967, he moves to Anchorage, Alaska with his second wife. They married in 1963 and shared two children. In Anchorage, Robert is well-liked and sets several local hunting records. In December 1971, Robert is arrested twice. The first charge was for abduction and attempted rape of a homemaker. The second charge was for the rape of a sex worker. Robert pleaded no contest to assault with a deadly weapon in the case of the homemaker. The rape charge of the sex worker was dropped as a part of a plea bargain. He was sentenced to five years. After serving only six months, Robert was placed on a work release program and placed in a halfway house. In 1976, Robert pleads guilty to larceny after he was caught stealing a chainsaw from an Anchorage superstore. He was again sentenced to five years and is required to receive psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder. The Alaska Supreme Court reduces his sentence and converts it into the time served. Robert is released. Oh, come on. Really? Rewind. It is believed that Robert had started killing back in 1972, four years before the larceny charge. He would pick up sex workers in his car, force them at gunpoint into his cabin, and rape them. He would then force them into a secluded area and proceeded to hunt them like wild game. Shooting, stabbing, torture, whatever it took to inflict pain on his victims to satisfy his sick need for revenge of being wronged and rejected. On June 13, 1983, Robert offers a 17-year-old sex worker money for oral sex. 
As soon as she was in the car, he pulled a gun on her and took her back to his home in Muldoon, the northeast portion of Anchorage proper. There he held her captive, tortured and raped her. She would later tell the police that she was chained by the neck to a post in Robert's basement. He took a nap after the torture and, when he woke up, informed her that he was taking her to his secluded cabin. With her hands handcuffed in front of her body, she was crouched down in the back seat of his car. She waited for the chance to escape while Robert was distracted. She climbed onto the front seat, opened the driver's side door, and ran to a busy road. She flagged down a passing truck to stop and take her to safety. The driver was horrified at her appearance. She was disheveled, handcuffed, and also barefoot. She would also tell the police that she left her blue sneakers behind in Robert's car as evidence she was there. Although the driver just dropped her off and went on with his day, he did report his encounter to the police with a disheveled woman who was handcuffed and barefoot. When the Anchorage police located the woman, she was still handcuffed and alone. She was taken to the station where she describes her attacker. When Robert is questioned, he denies the accusation against him and claims that she was just trying to extort money from him. She was just a sex worker trying to cause trouble for him. Although Robert had already had a few run-ins with the law enforcement, his calm demeanor and his modest occupation as a baker helped with not considering him as a serious suspect. Plus, he managed to conjure up an alibi. With this, the case goes cold. Soon the discovery of three female bodies are found in the surrounding areas of Robert's cabin. One is uncovered by construction workers. The body would never be positively identified, the next two bodies are found with traumatic similarities in the manner of their deaths as the first body. Based on the criminal psychological profile that was constructed of this killer, it was concluded that the murderer was an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, had an obvious history of being rejected by women, or at least had very negative encounters with women. It was thought that the murderer had most likely kept trophies of his victims, maybe jewelry. They eventually questioned Robert, who fits the criminal psychological profile. The girl who had escaped Robert's brutality gave testimony to support Robert being her assailant, and this time she had the support of the criminal psychological profile. With this information, a warrant was issued to search Robert's property. Jewelry belonging to the bodies discovered were found in his possession, as well as a wide variety of firearms. There was also an aeronautical chart hidden behind his headboard with at least 37 X marks the spot on the map. These marks would match exact locations of already discovered bodies as well as locations of new discoveries. At first, Robert denied any involvement in the grisly discoveries, but then displayed obvious anger and resentment at the women themselves. To justify his actions, he blames the women for their own fate. He does eventually confess that he began killing back in 1971. He killed young women between 16 and 19 years of age who weren't sex workers, but women he wanted to overpower and make pay for the rejection that he felt as a youth. Although he was suspected of killing at least 17 women and assaulting well over 30 women, Robert is only formally charged with murdering four and the kidnapping of only one woman that we know of who got away. Only four of his victims were matched ballistically to Robert's firearms. He is sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. For his many crimes. He remains incarcerated until August 21, 2014, where he dies of natural causes from lingering health conditions. Good. It doesn't seem to me that he served nearly enough time to make amends, but at least he finally got punished. 
Did I mention his nickname was Butcher Baker? Enter the Conspiracy Corner. it's strange that some people decide that it is perfectly okay to retaliate against hurt feelings. Because he felt rejected by women, he thought it okay to hurt women. He didn't even seek revenge on the actual women that supposedly hurt him, but on other innocent women. Time after time, it was on the surface that he was a criminal and a wrongdoer. Charges were dropped and sentences reduced. His feelings were misdirected. So, because someone hurt your feelings, your homicidal feelings and execution of hurting others is justified? Yeah, I don't think so. Sucks to suck. I don't have sympathy for narcissistic assholes who never seek help. My hope is that no one has to live in fear. Ever. As always, I'll never give up. And read the sites. Special thanks to all the reading materials I can get my hands on the internet mostly. Thanks to wikipedia.org. Thanks so much for listening. I am Rachel Vallis-Nora, and this is the podcast, Hell is Not the End. <laughs>